0: You can subscribe to my Substack and get early access to this show by way of TruthJihad.com.
1: Yeah. The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink, or eat anything. These
0: Quicker, are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most
1: compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself.
0: Welcome to 2022. This is Truth Jihad Radio. First show of the year. In fact, it's the first show since when was it? December 18th, I think it was. We were off for 17th because we were off on Christmas Eve day. We were off on New Year's Eve night, but we're back now. We're back to work. The uh, vaccine mandate at Revolution Radio has been rescinded. Just kidding. (laughs) This is the last place on earth where it would be any kind of mandate, uh, much less any censorship. That's why I'm here, and people should support Revolution Radio. It's at revolution.radio on the Internet, not a .com, not a .ir or a .edu or any other cool dots out there. It's a Radio, revolution.radio, home of free speech on the Internet airwaves. I'm Kevin Barrett of com, and I'm getting ready to start the year right by bringing on some COVID heretics. You can pretty much get digitally burned at the stake these days for saying the wrong things about COVID, even if you're highly educated or even an expert. And my first hour guest tonight, Neural Nass, is definitely an expert. She's got the anthrax vaccine blog she exposed one of the really only absolutely proven in the peer-reviewed literature cases of a biowar attack. So she was an early go-to person to get information about this pandemic from. And so she'll be on in the first hour. Second hour, Joel Hirschhorn. he's actually a PhD metallurgical engineer, but he's advised Congress on a bunch of topics. And he's done enough research on Fauci's pandemic blunder to write a book that scooped at least some parts of RFK Jr.'s blockbuster by a full year. So Joel's coming back on to talk about his latest article, Praise the Lord and Pass the Ivermectin. Okay, let's get going with the first hour. Meryl Dass uh, is um, really my favorite person to try to go to to make some sense out of all of this contradictory scientific data that we're getting around COVID, and especially reports of higher or is it lower all cause mortality among vaccine recipients as opposed to the unvaxxed and then there's also the issue of whether or not there may be higher rates of myocarditis and pericarditis and this and that carditis as well as various other problems among vaccinated people some reports on this are very alarming and others um, are very soporific and hey nothing to see here folks just move along and those of us who are not experts may have a hard time sorting through all of this seemingly contradictory information, Meryl Nass is here to help us sort through it. So let's ask her. Hey, welcome, Meryl. How are you?
1: Hi. Um, How is the sound quality?
0: It sounds okay to me so far.
1: Okay, great.
0: Okay. Well, welcome back. And uh, boy, this is an interesting week to bring you back, too, because we did just have uh, that, story about the Indiana life insurance CEO saying that all cause deaths are up uh, 40 percent among people 18 to 64 and that they're Mm -hmm. not they're non-COVID deaths. And there's a big debate about that. And likewise, there's a debate over these various studies um, refuting such charges and claiming that people who are vaccinated are doing just as well as people who are not overall and uh, frankly, when I looked at a couple of the studies that you're uh, pointing out as being dubious, I couldn't really tell why they were dubious. Uh, do you, do you want to start talking a little bit about this argument over uh, comparing all cause mortality of the vaxxed and the unvaxxed and uh, where we are with that data?
1: Yeah. Um, so let me go back a ways. For many years, it was said that flu shots were very important. This was until about 2005. Flu shots were very important because they really markedly reduced the number of deaths in in the group of people who got flu shots. And so that was the, you know, that was the, everybody knew it. But then somebody came along and said, actually, you're doing a really poor job of analyzing this and that there's something called the healthy worker effect or the healthy soldier effect that people who are healthier tend to get more uh, medical interventions and so it was when in fact the patients who were getting vaccinated and those who weren't getting flu vaccinated were, were matched perfectly it turned out there was no difference whatsoever in mortality and furthermore, when the people who had claimed there was um, had found a marked benefit, a mortality benefit in the summer as well as the winter, when there's no flu. The thing about vaccines is that and that everybody believes is that they only help prevent the disease they're designed to prevent. They don't. If you take a flu shot, it doesn't prevent cancer. It doesn't prevent heart attacks. It only prevents the flu. But uh, by supposedly preventing some enormous number of deaths in the summer, it was clear that the people getting vaccinated were a healthier cohort. And so subsequent to to that study being published by uh, Luna Simonson, um, it's been widely agreed that there is actually no evidence for any benefit to uh, whether it's all-cause mortality, which means everything that kills you or flu mortality in the elderly from flu shots. No one has been able to produce statistically significant evidence of, in the older age groups, a mortality benefit from flu shots.
0: Now, how how can that be? That's so counterintuitive because, theoretically, the flu shots should be doing at least something against the flu, and lots of old people die from the flu. So how can there not be any all-cause mortality uh, and especially flu mortality benefits?
1: Right. So there shouldn't be an all cause mortality benefit. There should only be a flu. Oh,
0: no, there should be both because flu is a, is a major cause.
1: Well, it actually well, that depends how you count it. And then we get into the issue of, of this um, interview, which is uh, what are the how real are the data? How, what is the quality of the data? So what are the quality of the data that tell us that lots of people die from flu? Well, we have. From the CDC, we only have estimates. We have algorithms and estimates, and we don't have real numbers. And those algorithms tell us from year to year that between about 20,000 and 48,000 people die each year from flu. But when you look at the um, death certificates, and CDC, by the way, collects every death certificate in the United States, you'll find out that on an average year, one to 2,000 people have influenza listed as the cause of death on their death certificate now there's probably more deaths from influenza than that but these are people who perhaps had cancer or had severe heart disease and the flu was just that last little thing that knocked them over and presumably the physician who filled out the death certificate didn't think that flu was the main cause so in the 2000 I think 1718 year which was the biggest flu year flu deaths and flu cases in serious cases year, in 10 or 20 years, there were 6,515 flu deaths on death certificates. This is CDC data. It's hard to find. It took a lot of digging on my part um, to to find it, but it's there. They used to publish it so that it was easy to find every year, but now they bury it. Um, So we don't know how many people die of the flu every year. But most of them are probably in nursing homes are very frail. And, um, you know, if if the flu didn't kill them, it's likely some other similar problem would. Now, right. when so. So anyway, that the, the whole concept of what people realized was that the cohort of elders who get vaccinated are a healthier cohort in general than all elders. So what happened here in this study by Zo, I just had it up on my computer. At XU. This is a CD study, CDC study. Stanley Zhu published in the Mortality Mortality and Morbidity Weekly Report on October 29. Um, he they claim they did standardization, so they tried to look at the two the vaccinated and unvaccinated cohorts but they only standardized them by age and gender not by health status and um so they found amazing uh lower amazingly lower all cause mortality in the vaccinated group so if in that group that got the Pfizer vaccine they had only um 0.41 uh so 41% of the deaths all cause deaths as the under <coughs> Sorry, Kevin.
0: That's okay, Merle. Just uh, you probably uh, you shouldn't be eating dinner while we're talking on the radio. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I, you know, I'm wondering if I had an asymptomatic COVID because I've been coughing a lot for no reason last two or three weeks. Um, but wasn't sick before that. Anyway, 41% if you took the Pfizer, 34%. Look at that. People were only one-third as likely to die if they took uh, dose one of, let me see, no, 41% from the first dose of Pfizer, 34% after the second dose, um, 34% as likely to die after dose one of Moderna, and 31% after dose two. In other words, the people were healthier who took two doses than who took one, and um, the Janssen or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, those pe- people who got that were only 54% as likely to die. And therefore, instead of saying what these data would suggest, which is this is an, a, a remarkable tonic that lowers your chance of death by two-thirds or one-half.
0: Fragile immortality pill.
1: Right, exactly. All Stanley Zoo said, he didn't really discuss those numbers. He just said, quote, there is no increased risk for mortality among the COVID-19 vaccine recipients, this finding reinforces the safety profile of currently approved COVID-19 vaccines in the United States. Unquote. Wow.
0: wow. Um, yeah. Well, that's very modest. He could have claimed that they were uh, you know, right. miraculous uh, tonics and elixirs, and you should come up to the snake oil wagon and buy some immediately.
1: Exactly. But the purpose of this paper was probably so that it could be cited in some legal documents which happened to be amicus briefs to the Supreme Court by the American Medical Association, using this bogus method of study to claim it proved the vaccines were safe.
0: Wow. Uh, So, well, this would partly explain the apparent contradiction between studies like this that say that uh, oh there's there 's no all cause mortality problem with these vaccines, On the contrary, the people who take the vaccines are they, they die less, so you should come and get your vaccine and then, exactly. on the other hand, we have these other uh, reports of uh, a way you know out of line number of um, athletes dropping dead on the field at, at early ages mm-hmm. and uh, and reports of these heart issues, myocarditis et cetera. Um, so, so maybe, uh, it turns out that, the this nonsense, so, so this was in a major journal, this, uh, Stanley Zoo No, no,
1: no. This is, this, it used to be considered a very high quality little journal, the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. It's a CDC in-house paper. It used to be published by the Massachusetts Medical Society, but it is no longer. So they have nothing to do with it. It's CDC people, non-peer reviewed. They publish whatever drivel they want whatever they need to publish to push whatever narrative is uh, necessary that week. So this week they had to prove that, um, you know, the vaccines don't cause any kind of mortality problem. And they did it with this very poorly done paper. They used to have an editor at the end really discuss what it meant, you know, and criticize it a little, but they've dropped that. So there's no editorial uh, comment. I will say this: at the, in the summary, in a summary box at the end of the paper, they say what is already known about this topic. And I'll quote: Although deaths after COVID-19 vaccination have been reported to the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, few studies have been conducted to evaluate mortality not associated with COVID-19 among vaccinated and unvaccinated groups. So what this tells you is that CDC actually was very careful not to study this issue of all-cause mortality or any mortality and compare the vaccinated un- and unvaccinated previously.
0: That's insane. I mean, these are, these are experiments. There's, there's nobody, nobody's ever done mRNA technology on humans before. How could they not be monitoring this really carefully?
1: Well, they probably are, but it's all hidden, so we we don't know what the findings are, and the, that's probably because the, the findings are very worrisome. But I yeah, I can't that's, that's what you would, that's what you,
0: what you would imagine from uh, looking at some of the uh, critiques of this mainstream narrative, uh, including those that came out on the heels of the news report of the uh, life insurance CEO uh, saying deaths are up. 40% among young people aged 18 to 64. And interestingly, the causes of death seem to perfectly mimic the various kinds of theirs uh, adverse events that have been reported on these vaccines. And so Steve Kirsch uh, did that piece, How to Verify for Yourself, that over 150,000 Americans have been killed by the COVID vaccines. And he goes through the theirs numbers, claims that they're underreported by something like 50 or 60-fold or something like that, and uh, does the math. And comes up with 150,000 people killed by the vaccines so on the one hand we have this nonsense fake science being pumped out to support the narrative that the vaccines are perfectly safe and on the other hand we have the vaccine skeptics uh suggesting that they might be uh very far from safe uh what's your take on kirsch's analysis uh of that uh well of of, of the various data with relation to that story about the life insurance Uh, statistics suggesting that uh, (laughs) people in healthy age groups are suddenly dropping dead uh, in in very large and alarming numbers.
1: So um, an insurance company CEO of the company One America, which primarily sells group life insurance plans to companies and has been in in business for 150 years, said at a a roundtable at the end of the year that they had this increase of about 40% mortality in the working age group. He did not say what the causes were, um, and apparently they have not sorted that out yet. Um, he also said that this was not just his business, but this was an industry-wide phenomenon. And a reporter at The Defender got an insurance company in India to say the same thing, that they, too, were seeing about a 40% increase in mortality. Uh, overall deaths in the working age group. <clears throat> now, um, so we're waiting for that data, and the um, the insurance company said once they clean up the data, they will share it and let other people study it. It's very important if you have connections at an insurance company um, to try to um, get access or talk to the actuaries or the officers there and um I actually got someone to talk to the CEO's assistant and it was confirmed that this is absolutely true. Um, it's very worrying. It's never happened before. It's, the chance of it happening is like one in a billion or trillion. It's, it's just an enormous increase. There was an increase in all-cause mortality in 2020. There was about a 20% in the U.S., although in European countries, they say there wasn't any increase and then from 2020 to 2021 it was about another 25% increase in alcohol mortality in that group <clears throat> it's not a group in which there are a lot of deaths and it is an age and in males especially males between 20 and 50 there are a lot of alcohol and drug related deaths which have risen since the pandemic so i certainly don't mean to imply that um Necessarily, the bulk of these deaths are related to vaccination, but they certain, but many deaths are likely to be related to vaccination. And the reason I say that is the VAERS data. So VAERS is a voluntary reporting system. It was created by Congress, started in 1990. It came out of the 1986 Vaccine Injury Act, and um, when the manufacturers of childhood vaccines were given liability protection. Um, This sort of program was initiated in order to collect data on what are the injuries. Okay, so once you take away liability from a company, they're likely to be less careful about safety, right? So we needed a system in place that would collect safety data, and since the companies aren't going to give it to you, this was for voluntary reporting by health professionals, um, any, you know, people who were affected, their families, anybody who wanted to report was allowed to report into this system. And <clears throat> on average, they've had about 150 to 200 deaths per year for all vaccines reported. Um, now, since the COVID vaccines came out, the the CDC changed the way this system worked a little bit. So they got some V-safe data channeled into this system as well, and they got some other data channeled in. So the numbers would be expected to be somewhat greater. So you'd expect maybe more than 150 to 200 deaths. Maybe there'd be 400 deaths. But in fact, in the year 2021, and remember the vaccines, the first vaccine rollout began on December 14th for the Pfizer of 2020. And the second, the the Moderna rollout was seven days later, and the Johnson & Johnson slash Janssen vaccine started being given in February. During 2021, 10,000 deaths were almost 10,000, like 9,800 or 9,900, something like that were reported to this vaccine adverse event reporting system. Um, so, again, something like 50 times the number of deaths previously reported. And about 1 million adverse events were reported to this system. Um, again, much, much higher. Usually um, it's maybe around 50,000 adverse events. So the Vera system... Which had, which, when it was created by Congress, was defined as being open to the public, accessible to the public. So this is the only thing we get to look at. Um, there are probably 20 other databases that the FDA and CDC access or have or have created that they use. They are supposed to use to look for the safety of vaccines. And and none of these do we have access to the raw data. So Veris is the only one where we can look at the we can go granular at the individual level and look at the reports that were filed.
0: Now wait a minute. Why why don't we have access to our own government's data? I mean, couldn't you file uh, a FOIA? Uh, What's their excuse? I mean, (laughs) what is this national security? Or why? What's their excuse?
1: I don't know what the excuse is. Um, I know I have friends who worked with the head of a congressional committee and finally 20 years ago got access to some of it, and the CDC set them up with these old computers that kept going on and off, and basically they made it impossible to use. And, and subsequently I don't think anyone has gotten access to this. Um, so again, I don't—I haven't looked into why, but we can't. These are completely opaque databases, and the federal agencies, for the most part, pretend they don't exist. Occasionally, for for a meeting of an advisory committee to the FDA or CDC, they will do a little dog and pony show, and they will list the databases. And I've listed them on my website, so I've I've shown pictures of. Of these um, powerpoints that the fda and cDC have used during advisory committee meetings, and they tell you what all the databases are, and they tell you how many people are enrolled and all the data they they get data for most they have some data, they have insurance company data, they have um, the medical records or a good part of the medical record for twelve thousand twelve million excuse me twelve million Americans. Um, you know, almost 4% of the population they have access to those records, and then they have partial access to military records, to Medicare records, to all sorts of other records, uh, in um, pharmacy records. Uh, we don't know what they do with this. They they have not presented to the public the results of their pharmacy records or their Medicare records or these other, or their military defense medical surveillance system records. We know they have them. They admit they have them. And that's the end of it.
0: Wow. Were we able to
1: access this information? We would know in about one hour everything we needed to know about vaccine safety.
0: That's completely crazy. Uh, Obviously, there should be a a mass uprising to demand this stuff be made public. Um, How how can they be getting away with this? Why? Why? Uh, isn 't the journalism world uh banging down the door to try i mean if they if anybody in mainstream journalism or mainstream medicine or science really believes these vaccines are totally safe, why wouldn 't they support releasing all of this data
1: i don 't know why i mean obviously it 's utterly critical, and we are spending i mean enormous amounts of money the you know taxpayer money. So the CDC pays HMOs to to gain access to these 12 million people's records, and the the CDC and FDA pay for access to many other databases. They're they're not free, and then they have staffs of people who analyze them. But you know we unless they come, they basically have tried to fool the public as it, and imply, without saying so directly, that they have the vSAFE data, which is this new phone app system where people can report into the CDC, which actually doesn't go directly to the CDC but goes to the Oracle company, and then Oracle aggregates the data, and once a week they send it to CDC, and they send the serious <clears throat> reports to VAERS. Um, so they have that data which um, they told us a lot about the first month. And at that point, they had some enormous number, like 3% of people who got vaccinated were winding up in a doctor's office or an ER. Then they stopped telling us about it, and they had a high rate of anaphylaxis. Um, And then just recently, they pulled out some of that data and said 1% uh, of people were winding up in doctor's offices after a shot, which is still a very, very high number. You know, like, um, an order of magnitude or more higher than normal. Um, then they have the, what they call the VSD data. And I sent you a, a study from the V, the VSD is this 12 million person medical record collection that the CDC has purchased. They've had it for over 20 years. Vaccine safety data link. They have access to some of the, um, Partners data from Boston. They have lots of Kaiser Permanente data, Marshfield Clinic, and a couple of other places. But what they do, but the way they, stu- first of all, we don't have access to the raw data and we don't have access to the algorithms and the ways they study it. So uh, a woman who is the top vaccine studier, an MD-PhD named Nicola Klein, at the Oakland, California, Kaiser Permanente, and she's been there a long time. I've known of her for 20 years or more um, doing the same thing. And she also, so she's, her group is basically selling the data to the CDC, and then CDC is contracting with her to analyze the data. And then she has separate contracts with Pfizer and other companies to study their vaccines in the, Kaiser Permanente population.
0: It sounds, it sounds like a possible conflict of interest.
1: <clears throat> One would think. One would think. So anyway, she studies this data and she, gee whiz, she can't find a thing, you know? She can't find a signal for a higher rate of myocarditis, no higher rates of blood clots, no higher rates of anything. And she, she's had a slide, which again, I've, um, uh, reproduced <laughs> in some of my talks, um, looking at 25 or 30 different probable adverse events that other studies have linked to the COVID vaccinations, and she couldn't find a, a problem with any of them. But, but she never told us exactly how she was studying. So, just recently, another group of uh, physicians and other employees at Kaiser, um, in a different Kaiser Permanente office in Oregon or, or Washington pointed out that the method that Nicola Klein had used was missing a lot of cases. Maybe, miss I can't remember how many more, but she was missing a lot of cases. And they looked at myocarditis and pointed out, so there are many different diagnostic terms. So everybody with myocarditis doesn't necessarily leave the emergency room or the hospital with a diagnosis of myocarditis. It may be myocarditis due to influenza or myocarditis not otherwise specified or myocarditis secondary to a vaccine. But anyway, there are, there are multiple search terms. And if you really want to catch every case of myocarditis, which some of them aren't initially diagnosed, right? You have to wait for lab work or an echocardiogram or a cardiac MRI or other data to be able to make the diagnosis. You'll call it something else. You might call it heart failure or arrhythmia. And then you have to go and manually look at charts with those diagnoses or with a diagnosis of an arrhythmia and then a positive cardiac MRI in order to find those cases. Anyway, they didn't even go that far. They just pointed out that when Nicola Klein used search terms to find myocarditis cases, she didn't even use one of the myocarditis search terms, and um, and she cut off her collection of data at 21 days. And they said many of the charts were not coded by the coders within 21 days. So all the ones so they extended out their period for the coders by only about 10 days, and they picked up a bunch more cases. Anyway, there are so many different ways you can um, cook the data by choosing how you want to analyze it. And, of course, the the people analyzing it can also analyze it a whole bunch of different ways and then just choose the method that they want that will give them the answer they were looking for. And this seems to be what CDC has become, you know, uh just fabulous at is – Figuring out all kinds of screwy ways to study data to get the answer they want. And I've seen it, I've seen it so many times over the years and when you drill down, sometimes you can figure it out, sometimes you can't. But the methods are really bizarre. So CDC has a lot of, let me just sort of, now I'm going to generalize. CDC has enormous collections of data, but they are not all You can't just put them together. And so they have data from all the states, all the territories, all kinds of data. I mean, enormous amounts of data. Um, But the states collect them differently. So, for example, if you're looking at um, how many pediatric hospitalizations there were for COVID, well, one state, considers you to be a child until you're 20, another state until you're 16, another until you're 19, etc. And so this this is messy. Now, it would be relatively easy to fix this. You could write software to sort it out. CDC doesn't do that. They just say, "Look, you know, we can't collect the states just won't give us data, you know, that we can put together and comprehensively analyze so they they're cdc again they are masters at finding somebody else to blame and cdc gives grants to all the states to all the health departments of the territories and states and and they give them grants for specific projects cdc has a budget this year of 15 i think four billion dollars the federal government gave them several extra billion this year it was the biggest increase in their budget ever And with this money, it would be no problem for them to say to the states, here's $100 million. Just give us a data collection that looks like all the other states. You know, just end childhood at 18, okay? That wouldn't be too hard. Here's here's $100 million to do it with. But they don't do that. They prefer having everything jumbled and questionable. So then when they come to study something, let's say they're looking at children in hospitals, they will pick – jurisdictions like they may pick 30 counties or 5 states or they'll pick some subset and they don't explain why they picked that particular subset and they'll study it and say oh well look in this subset you know kids that didn't wear masks wind, wound up in the hospital 5 times as often as kids who did or they will say uh, they will tell the they will make sure to take they'll tell hospitals that hospitals have to report or they, they don't even say you have to report. They say we, we, we would like you to report, but we're not making you report. Um, who is vaccinated that's in the hospital with a COVID case? And of course that's not a checkoff box when you get hospitalized. So it's very likely it's nowhere in the, in the chart or it's in a free text part of the chart where it's not being collected, you know, as a, as data, aggregable data. And so the hospitals don't know. They give CDC some information about who was, ho- who was in the hospital and whether they were vaccinated. And then CDC says 20 times as many people in the hospital are, with COVID are unvaccinated as are vaccinated. Now, we know that that's not true because in Israel, you know, in Denmark, in the U.K., we know that the people going into the hospital with COVID, Are going at the same rate. Unvaccinated and vaccinated are going into the hospital at the same rate. Um, So, in all these other countries that are using the same vaccines we do, there's no difference in hospitalization. Now, but in our country, CDC says 20 times more. So, yeah, I've wondered about about that. (laughs) Okay, well, what that is about? CDC knows everybody who's been vaccinated, and they also presumably know almost everybody who's been in the hospital because they have access to the the Medicare database and all these other databases and, you know, insurance databases. So they could look at, for instance, those 12 million people who are Kaiser and other enrollees that they pay for the medical records on. They know which of those people got vaccinated and which didn't. And they could use that data to figure out what the real proportions are of, of who was vaccinated and required hospitalization and who didn't. But they don't use that data because that's good data. They choose to use this garbage data, which is from the hospitals who are asked to report but not required to report. And then Politico did two articles um, last year talking about how terrible the data is that the CDC uses. They they even got um, Tom Frieden, a former director of the CDC, to say that this data is terrible. And now, this past week, um, Ezekiel Emanuel and others, um, important Americans, have said the Biden administration is relying on data from the U.K. and Israel because they can't rely on the CDC data. I mean, This is extraordinary, but the CDC has created a system where nobody gets that data except themselves.
0: I wonder to what extent this uh, hyper secrecy at CDC uh, is related to the way that CDC became a an arm of the germ warfare industry after Nixon formally, you know, did the, did the treaty that banned offensive germ warfare. So the bio warriors had to have civilian cover, so they all moved into CDC. That's a, a section of RFK Jr.'s book describes how this happened. And, you know, one wonders to what to extent,
1: extent the spokes um, are involved in this. Yeah, I uh, was not aware that they moved to CDC. I know one um, globalist who was in the CDC division, the special um, pathogens division at CDC, who, is, who then became uh, currently is in charge of basically vaccine passports, Um for oh, what's the organization but they're very much funded by the rockefeller foundation and you know it's a globalist um funded organization that's been trying to bring in vaccine passports and Mm -hmm. uh and all that entails um i'll tell you his name bradley perkins he was the guy who messed up on anthrax when he went down to florida and looked at the uh ami building and um said there's no anthrax here people can work and of course there was a lot of anthrax (laughs) in the building and Mm. uh i guess if you you didn't get the bradley bradley left the special pathogens uh branch at cdc for better things um but most of the people that i knew of at cdc doing that stuff were probably not germ warfare, because cdc really doesn't have that many good lab people there cdc is more of a they do more epidemiology. They do more screwing around with numbers. But even though they have laboratories and they do lab work, um, I don't think they have done well. I could be wrong.
0: So, so if their job is screwing around with numbers, why are they so bad at that?
1: Well, that's what I mean. That's, their, that's they've made finding finding whatever you need to find with the numbers an art. Um, mm, I guess that could be profitable. People, People who are honest, scientists don't last at CDC.
0: Uh-huh. Interesting. So so getting back to this topic of, of how dangerous these vaccines may be, So you mentioned that with the VAERS data we saw this uh, really inexplicable surge in reports of deaths and adverse events, up to a million adverse events. And uh, so how do we come up with some sort of estimate about, let's just say, Right, know, how what, what are, the real are numbers are. So
1: so it's a very important question, and Steve Kirsch, being an engineer, has tried to find a way to figure out what is the reporting rate. You know, what is the likelihood that an adverse event will be reported? And in published literature, that has ranged from about 1% to 13% of all adverse events get reported to theirs, with a the thought that the more serious ones have a higher reporting rate than the less serious ones. And the ones that occur closest to the vaccination are going to be more likely to be reported. So anaphylaxis, for instance, ought to be reported at a high rate, because on average, it happens 15 to 17 minutes after a shot. And so you have a pretty good idea it was linked to the shot. Having said that, the uh, rate of anaphylaxis, uh, the, well, the, the numbers of anaphylaxis cases to bears is not that high. And compared to a study at Mass General and Brigham Hospital and over 50,000 employees, who and they asked them, you know, who had a reaction after the shot, and they did a careful study. It was published in JAMA was published as a correspondence though. It wasn't published as a paper, but it was reasonably long and detailed. And um this group found that about one in I think it was one in four thousand um people who got a vaccine had an anaphylactic reaction. And yet the C D C has said it's only two to five per million. Um, And they're basing that on VAERS reports, as if the VAERS reports are 100% of all the um, actual anaphylaxis events. Let me say that again. VAERS is voluntary reporting, and apparently using that data and assuming that every single episode of anaphylaxis has been reported to VAERS CDC can make the claim that there's only two to five cases of anaphylaxis per million shots. And they want to make that claim because they published another study five years ago saying that on average, they looked at a lot of vaccines, but flu was the main one. There were only 1.3 per million shots. There are only 1.3 anaphylaxis episodes Per million shots administered, so CDC wants that number. You know, about one, two, three, four, five per million to be the number. So they've come up with that. But the Brigham study showed there were about it was about a hundred times more than that. And CDC has kept on its website it's two to five per million. Anyway, so that's a lie. So Steve Kirsch wants to get the real number. But there is no simple way to get the real number because the reporting rate for deaths is not going to be the same as the reporting rate for rashes. And you'd think the reporting rate for anaphylaxis would be high, but the data suggests that it's not very high. It's probably only about 1%. So anyway, Steve used several different methods. He and his group that he works with are very competent people, and Figured out that the the um, rate, the rates that are reported to the VAERS system should be multiplied by about 41 to get the actual rate of adverse events and deaths.
0: You no, know, isn't and there it, an official CDC uh, estimate of something like that as well?
1: No, there's only these papers that tried to, to estimate, and these were mostly CDC papers that suggested CDC hasn't wanted; they don't want. This number to be known. They don't want anybody to be able to say how many adverse events there are or deaths that are, in fact, you know, related to vaccination. So they've got these old papers that say up to 1 in 13 or or 1 in 100 get reported. But whether those numbers, you know, are applicable today, we don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. So the, the official line on the VERS data seems to be uh, if it ever gets mentioned in the in mainstream media uh and, and by the, the usual suspects, they say that, well, these are just, you know, reports that can come in from anybody. They haven't been verified, so the real number presumably would be actually smaller than the the yeah. numbers.
1: Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, in all voluntary reporting systems, the number is never smaller. Each of these reports is gone over by a federal contractor, so CDC and FDA – pay contractors to manually go through each report and um, take out duplicates, triplicates, and weird things. So somebody once reported that they turned into the Amazing Hulk after they got a vaccination. So that got pulled after it was in for a short time.
0: Darn, I thought that was such a great report. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> kidding. It, was, it wasn't me.
1: Yeah, so um the point is that there are not that many fake reports because they get checked. Um, when, when I, I used to collect every single VAERS report on anthrax vaccine, and I would get a new copy approximately every six months, and the CDC, F- FDA, which jointly run this system, would have their contractors going through it constantly and weeding out reports and changing things around. And so one year, I got as many as 12% of the reports being designated as serious another year as low as 3% of the reports designated as serious um, so they're they're constantly playing with these things and um, luckily you know civilians have created um, mirror systems for vaers and collect the vaers data as it comes out every friday from the federal government and so they immediately collect it and then you know when the contractors or the federal agencies change it there's a there's a record in these other databases.
0: Okay. So so the uh, the official line that the VIRS data is actually overstating these problems is ridiculous.
1: No evidence ever presented for that.
0: Right. That's so uh, how, how do we happened. then uh, come up with, let's say, this roughly, you know, 40 times uh, estimate that Steve Kirsch is using?
1: Right. So So anyway, there were 10,000 U.S. deaths and 20,000, deaths altogether that have been reported to bears, And so if he multiplies that by 40, he's got 400,000 US deaths or 800,000 overall deaths.
0: Right. And then he uh, he he says that his lowball estimate, if you make the most generous assumptions to the vaccine makers, could bring that down to uh, 150,000 Americans, Mm -hmm. I suppose, 300,000 worldwide. Uh, do you find that a reasonable estimate and if so why
1: it's prob it's probably as good as you're going to get um, uh, i think i know it's as good as you're going to get because we just we don't have good data um, i will say that there something over 50% of the deaths reported to vares had symptom onset they didn't die within 48 hours but they had symptom onset within 48 hours after the shot so that sort of strengthens the connection um there was some some other what was i going to say
0: not sure uh, but maybe <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know while you're remembering Uh, Bringing it back to the issue of of all-cause mortality, you mentioned, we started on the show mentioning that study with Klein as one of the authors suggesting, you know, making the the false comparison, looking at this much healthier group, the people who have sought out vaccinations, claiming, hey, look, they're dying less, uh, therefore uh, the vaccines are just fine, which is nonsense. But I've seen other analyses of all-cause mortality that seem to come to the opposite conclusion that properly weighted uh, and so on, that the people getting vaccinated actually were showing kind of a a shockingly greater all-cause mortality than the non-vaccinated. So uh, uh, is there any hope for getting any good data on that issue?
1: Well, I remember what I was going to say, which is that a person named McLaughlin, looked at the first 250 cases of deaths reported to bears in conjunction with the COVID vaccines and said that all of them, every one, had been coded as a death due to COVID by the CDC. So um, if that's true, and somebody needs to look through all of them and figure this out, but if that's true, then, you know, when... If they are messing with with the raw data like that, <laughs> you, you, we're going to have a hard time sorting things out.
0: Maybe the insurance uh, actuarial tables will save us.
1: <laughs> the, yes, the insurers probably, they don't have good data on who got vaccinated and who didn't, but they may have data on causes of death. And so if it, again, people are, might argue about what would be a cause of death related to vaccination. But I think... We've established already that blood clots, so if you have a pulmonary embolism, and it's claimed that there's a very high rate of pulmonary emboli as causes of death um, in the vares compared to uh, prior years, that the percentage has gone up a lot. So that may well, could well be a vaccine uh, adverse event. And then if if myocarditis um we, we know that. I mean, there's really good data from multiple sources that show, for example, there's two, there's two papers that came up with the same number. This paper from, from the Kaiser group that said Nicola Klein had not counted properly and a paper out of Hong Kong and both of them found that one in 2,700 boys aged 12 to 17 who got their second shot, their second mRNA shot develop a clinical case of myocarditis got diagnosed by doctors with myocarditis. So both groups came up with the same number, one in 2700. Um, so that may well be a good number for for clinical obvious myocarditis. problem is a lot of these people who are collapsing on the field probably have subclinical myocarditis, and um, it may it, they may only develop an arrhythmia during strenuous exercise which is why one of the treatments of myocarditis is no exercise but nobody's talking about that because if you if kids if boys knew that 1 in 2700 might get myocarditis or maybe more because we don't know how many subclinical cases there are um and they were told you know not to exercise for some period of time after their shot whether it's a week or a month you know, we don't know how long they should wait. That would really mess up, you know, a lot of uh, high school and collegiate sports in the United States. So and, nobody's
0: giving that. Given the low risk of COVID in this kind of age group, especially among athletes, you know, you really have to question whether giving these young athletes these shots is such a good idea.
1: Yeah, it. it I mean, the risk benefit analysis is almost certainly negative. Although I must say that uh, one of the justices in the Supreme Court today complained that it was obviously highly positive.
0: <laughs> hmm, how, how did he uh, justify that?
1: It was a she, but um, oh, she. no, they don't cite any data. They just made claims. They made all sorts of crazy claims. Today in the, um, there were oral arguments over the OSHA mandate case and the healthcare care worker mandate case today in the Supreme Court. Right. Yeah, I, I heard to that. Watch the, about two thirds of it.
0: Right. I, I heard this on NPR uh, and they said that it sounded like the justices were leaning towards uh, going, you know, being very skeptical of the OSHA mandates, but were friendlier to the healthcare care worker mandate.
1: I think, yeah, I mean, it's their job to ask sharp questions of both sides, so I don't know if you can tell by the questions they ask um, how they will vote. But certainly, I I must say that I I was stunned that in the OSHA case, which I heard 100 percent of, there was not a single mention of safety or efficacy of the vaccines.
0: Really? I I would think that would be the whole issue.
1: Yeah, you would think. (laughs) But no, it was sort of taken as a given that they worked worked well, and were safe. Wow, uh, yeah, that's
0: crazy. Yeah, because even now the mainstream media is full of stories suggesting that the the Omicron variant has really gotten past the a lot of the vaccine immunity, and and so absolutely. Was, yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm I'm dealing with people on a daily basis who have gotten COVID again, you know, after having had it once or been doubly or triply vaccinated so um i I can guarantee that's the case although i can't prove that these are omicron cases but they seem to be because we we've had such a massive you know influx of them suddenly
0: wow so we only have about 30 seconds
1: left you know there were there were two solicitor generals who were supposed to argue in front of the supreme court today and two of them had to do it by zoom because even though they were triply vaccinated um, they had gotten covid
0: <laughs> so where is this going is is basically everybody going to get omicron and it's, it's going to become endemic it's going to be just another version of the common cold or what
1: yeah it, it we hope it'll be an a version of the common cold yes i mean it mm-hmm. looks like a lot of people are going to get it and in general it's not as severe but and again i i can't tell you who has it because they're not sequencing the cases here in maine so I don't have that information, but it seems that there are still some serious cases, but not nearly so many.
0: Okay, well, we're going to have to update that old Link Ray song. Everybody's going to get it. Better buy stuff on credit. And I think we hit the end of the hour. (laughs) So thank you, Carol Bass. It's always great talking with you. And I appreciate your elucidating these issues. You succeeded. I actually feel a lot uh, more secure about my take on these issues after talking (laughs) to you. So thank you. That was Dr. Merrill Nass coming back with Joel Hirschhorn for the second hour of this live show. I'm Kevin Bird of TruthJihad.com.
1: Back in